Um, if you were here last uh, week, last Sunday, you uh, heard me kind of break my, um, I don't know, my, my typical rule, which is that I do not get political uh, as a pastor. Uh, and by doing that, I spoke out uh, pretty harshly against daylight savings time. Well, I don't know if you, uh, you watched the news, but uh, last week, uh, Senators White House and Rubio uh, put together legislation uh, to abolish daylight savings time, and it passed unanimously in the Senate. Uh, so I guess that means uh, I want to thank uh, Senators White House and Rubio first for watching this live stream. <laughs> <laughs> and getting that idea, and if they're watching, then I'd like to urge the House of Representatives. You know what you need to do, <laughs> and I look forward to hearing from you. Um, at least I hope not. That would be very uncomfortable, to be perfectly honest. Um, so we have um, kind of a, an interesting combination of stories. Jesus is teaching and preaching, and so people come up to him, and they tell him about in their words, these Galileans whose blood Pilate mixed with their sacrifices. Um, that's, uh, historically speaking, that's the only record we have of this particular event. Um, it sounds exactly like Pontius Pilate, who was known to be really brutal and violent. Um, kind of based on the way the language describes it, most likely uh, some Galileans from the northern region, actually where Jesus is from or where he grew up, uh, were on a pilgrimage down to the temple in Jerusalem. Something happened, and Pilate ordered his soldiers to go in and cut him down. Uh, that's kind of all the information we have. But again, that sounds like Pontius Pilate. And in fact, a couple of years after this, uh, there will be a Samaritan uprising, so kind of the region between Judea and Galilee. And Pilate, Pontius Pilate, put down that uprising so violently and brutally that the Roman emperor himself was like, that is too much. Uh, you're done, and he uh, removed him from his governorship and sent him off into exile. So if the Roman emperor thinks that you've just been a little too violent, that's like Vladimir Putin saying that you're a little too power hungry. Like, it means you've got a problem. <laughs> so, sounds like something Pilate did, or would have done. And then uh, the, these people inevitably were asking Jesus about that because uh, they saw this as divine retribution, divine judgment, because they were somehow particularly sinful. They were, maybe they were like bouncing that idea off of Jesus. And Jesus says, no, that's kind of not how that works. And then he points to another event. Uh, apparently there was a, a tower in the region of Siloam, and we actually have some ruins that look like that was a tower there. Hard to say if that's the, exactly the one that they were thinking of, but the tower just fell and killed a bunch of people. So he says, do you suppose that they were particularly bad? And then he says something weird. He says, no, but if you do not repent, you all, then you all will likewise perish. And then he tells a little parable about bearing fruit. So there's, there's a lot to unpack there. And we're, we're not going to get all the way there, but we're going we're gonna to see what we can do. 
Um, Jesus, I, I think in this instance, is not specifically talking about like, if you don't repent, you will all die and be separated from God eternally or something like that. I, I don't actually kind of hear that in the way that this is presented. Because Jesus, and, and Luke especially, like that this is kind of one of his things. Jesus as a prophet works and teaches, warning his people, his own people, that if they do not give up their nationalist bent, their desire to establish the kingdom of God as like the nation state of Israel violently, then they will come to a grisly and destructive end. And we know from history he was absolutely correct. Within a generation, you have the first Jewish-Roman war, the Romans come in uh, and they just destroy the city because uh, the people would not stop with their violence. And so one of the things that Jesus does as a teacher and prophet is to say, like, no, 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 that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here now. It looks like the poor having that oppression lifted, uh, the, the lame being able to walk, the blind being able to see, uh, the captives being freed. So Jesus is saying there is a new way of being God's people, and then he demonstrates what that looks like. And his warnings about, you know, the, the, the city of Jerusalem, you guys are in trouble. Give up your violent nationalism. It is going to lead to destruction. Like that is one of the things that gets him killed. And that sounds like it's very like isolated historically. And it is. It's Jesus giving a very specific message to a very specific people. Until after his execution... God raises, his, raises him from the dead. He walks out of his tomb. And, and suddenly, and you can, you can kind of see this in the New Testament as it's playing out. You get the sense that his, his disciples, who then become apostles and start composing the New Testament and founding the early church, like when Jesus was raised from the dead, they realize, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus was doing something a lot bigger than just that. This isn't about just like Israel and our nation. This is about all of humanity. So it's kind of like you've got this kernel of this message that slowly expands. So the warning about bearing fruit and, and the fig tree, that's a, that's a warning for his people saying like you're the people of God, bear fruit. Do the things that you as people of God, that, that God desires you to do. Not that that like, earns your salvation, but it, it, it corrects the direction you're going. So that's kind of that section in a nutshell. And what I want to zero, on, zero in on are those two stories, because they speak very, very well to the issue of suffering. Think about it. You've got suffering and death as the result of some horrible decisions that a very terrible person made. Uh, and in some ways, a very complicated person. On the other hand, you have the death and suffering of people because it just happened. 
no rhyme or reason. Those two kinds of suffering are the kinds of suffering that wreck people because there are no clean, easy ways to explain it. If you have experienced suffering due to the decisions of somebody else or some other people, either you know them and you're close to them or you've never met them before and, it, and, and their decisions affect you deeply and you find yourself suffering and struggling, that is going to be really tough because it feels senseless. And in the same way, if something just happens, these are like in the insurance companies call them what, like acts of God or something like that, which theologically I have a problem with, but they never listen to me. Um, if, if, if something just happens, natural disaster, uh, something just falls apart, whatever, you often left, you're often left like as the dust settles, just going, man, whoa, what is this all about? Now, there's different details and nuances we could go into, but, but we're not. There's, there's also a third kind of suffering, which is uh, I'm suffering because I made some bad decisions, and we just call that consequences. <laughs> that one's at least a little clearer, provided that we can admit that it was our fault to begin with. But I want to zero on to these, th- to the, to these other two, because... In response to that suffering, it almost sounds like Jesus is being really harsh. These people are coming to him saying, hey, this horrible thing happened, did you hear? And Jesus says, yes, and you likewise will die if you do not repent. That sounds like the guy with a bullhorn screaming at people to repent in front of a concert or something like that. It's like, oh, come on, give me a break. But I think what what Jesus is actually doing here is exposing a very, very profound element of suffering. That first off, he is dismantling this idea that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. In our popular mindset, we, uh, or popular culture, we might call that karma. Not karma in the technical sense from uh, a couple of uh, Eastern religions, that's a whole other thing. But like our culture likes to talk about karma, especially when we see like somebody who is generally terrible having something bad happen to them in the news. And people will say, oh, that's karma, they get what they get. Or something good happens, like, like a, a teacher in an, uh, an underserved or under-resourced area wins the lottery and we go, must be karma. They've sacrificed so much and look what they get. Except that all falls apart very fast for two reasons. One, bad things happen to good people and vice versa. And even more difficult is it brings out a question that can't be answered, which is, how do I know if I've done enough? If I've been good enough? Our culture does not handle that question very well. What if I'm, en- what if I'm not enough? What if I have not done enough good? So when Jesus talks about this suffering, 
And he kind of brings it together and says, you likewise, likewise will perish. Underneath the thing that's underneath the thing, we encounter a very profound truth about suffering and struggle in that it reveals deep down inside of you what happens when you know that you are not enough. This is what I mean by that. Because for me, this is not a philosophical or theoretical idea. In fact, it is very real. And we're just kind of getting to know each other. So one of the things you need to know about me is that I got a big lesson in this right when I started seminary, which if you don't know is like graduate school for becoming a pastor. Uh, five weeks into my first quarter at seminary, I was escorted out of my first class, the morning class, because some blood work had gotten back and gotten around to the campus nurse, and it turns out I was actively like dying of leukemia. Um, I was whisked away to the hospital and spent a, a good you know, chunk of time there uh, because I was at risk of you know, dying. Uh, that was also my wife's birthday. So, uh, fellas, don't do that. Because um, <laughs> that's something that, you know, that lingers. <laughs> um, <clears throat> two weeks after that, my, uh, my mentor, my, he was my pastor in college, was killed in a freak electrical accident. Um, over the next coming months, there was a suicide in the family. Um, our cat died. And then less than a year after that, my grandfather died. That's a lot of suffering. And I, I, I would say that that year was very formative. And I, and, and I really resonate with maybe not the decisions of other people that have caused me suffering, maybe not that component of um, what Jesus was saying, but I'm guessing there are plenty of people here that do. But more so with the things just happen. And when we are left asking God why, we end up with silence. And I know for me, I, I'll never forget like this one morning, it was a very low moment where uh, due to the treatment, my body just hurt so bad, I could not get out of bed. I, I, I was able to make it as far as I could, to, as far as the heating pad. And I, I couldn't go to class. I don't think I could go to work. I can't remember if I was working at that point. And I, I just had to lay there. It was in the dead of winter, and I just uh, the heating pad provided a little relief. Otherwise, I couldn't do anything. And it's moments like that that you realize, when everything is stripped away, I am not enough. This is, I have nothing to offer right now. I have nothing to give. There is not enough in me to make much of a difference anywhere. And as a pastor, or in that case, a pastor in training, like you, you get into that sort of thing because you feel like you have something to give people. So ask yourself, wh whether you've had this experience or not, what would it look like or feel like if you've got nothing to give? 
Because as Jesus starts addressing these two different kinds of suffering, drawing them together, he is ultimately raising a question of like, how do you make sense of that? Jesus didn't give an answer. It was merely an assumption. So what do you do? And this is where I think we see that whole pop culture idea of karma, good things happening to good people, bad things happening to bad people, as well as just this really scary, very powerful thing about suffering when it strips everything away from you and you realize like I am not enough I do not have enough I have nothing to give and when that pop culture karma and and that the the profound suffering that is probably going to happen to everybody at some point they come together and then we they realize that the answer is no you're not enough I'm not enough when everything is stripped away, do we have anything to give? That, for me, very formative, very low moment in my life. But then, you know, you start churning. You start asking God, what does this mean? What do I do now? Where do I go from here? And in so many ways, and maybe some other day I'll give, give you some more details, but um, when you get to the end of the book of Romans, a letter that Paul the Apostle is writing to the church in Rome, um, or uh, sorry, when you get to the end of chapter 8, he writes something very, very powerful. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things in the past, nor things to come, or anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of Jesus, the Messiah. If I find myself in the depths of despair, either because I realize that I have not done enough, I am not good enough, in fact, I don't measure up, and in fact, I think if I'm really honest with myself, all the bad I've done way outweighs the good, even if you can't tell, or if you find yourself just stripped bare, you can't even get out of bed because your body is just broken or the depression sinks in or, or the suffering is too great and you, you just can't go on and you have nothing left to give, what Paul the Apostle is saying there is it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter because I meant it when I said it. Not even that can separate you from the love of God in Jesus the Messiah. So when you find yourself in despair and overcome by your own sh uh, shortcomings or by the suffering and the struggle that just happens in human life, not even that will separate you from the love of God. And in fact, in a very real weird way, 
May that suffering be transformed into a blessing that when you realize you've got nothing left to give, you realize that the gift of God's love in Jesus is unearned and purely the freest gift that you will ever receive and that nothing can take that gift away as you are transformed into new resurrection life. Amen.